When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, I'm Scott Soshman. And I'm Evan Novi williams and this is the Chelsea's finally been sold sports business podcast, The Sportacast. I thought this would be the together again, you know, reunited. on the road again, reunited. Yeah, uh, but no, I was in California and Miami. We'll get to that in a moment because we all know what was going on in Miami. You, sir, I can see from the sun coming through your window, you are not in New Jersey or New York. You are in Aruba. As the Sportacast is truly an international podcast, Scott. Absolutely. I, now, I feel like the way I said Aruba, I got to take it to that next level from whatever the movie was. Do you scuba? Do you scuba? You scuba? Yeah, that's you uh, scuba? Life Aquatic. Yeah. That was Life Aquatic. Is that what it was? You yeah. scuba? Yeah, I, I, I love that. Uh, but uh, all right, you went ahead and wrecked it at the top. Yes, we finally have a decision on Chelsea Football Club. And uh, the final answer is Todd Boley, of course, part owner of the Dodgers, part owner of the Lakers. Now, of course, the face of Chelsea Football Club upon completion, of course, backed by lots of money from Clear Lake Capital, other investors as well. Evan, the choices were Josh Harris, David Blitzer, Steve Pagliuca, Todd Boley. I am not surprised, and I'll tell you why after I ask you. Are you surprised and why, why not? I'm not surprised. Real quick bit of log rolling for you, Scott. You are the one who broke this news on on Friday evening. So for for all the people, journalists around the world that have been been covering this, you would have heard it first uh, from Sportico via Scott Soshnick that, that, that the Bully Group was successful. I'm certainly not surprised, Scott, given that last week he was named as the preferred bidder. It seemed like that was a kind of a fast track of some sort of kind of exclusivity. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Done. Did you really justify the not surprised by saying he was named preferred bidder? I meant at the start. <laughs> you okay. Okay. Well, so after he was named preferred well, bidder, was I was not surprised. <laughs> yes. Uh, so that even going great. beyond that, no, I'm not necessarily uh, su- surprised here. I, I, we, we've talked a bit about the, the types of investors who have been investing in, in European soccer over the past decade and, and the reasons why it, it certainly seemed as though this Chelsea sale was going to go a different direction in terms of, of, of who those investors might be. Bowley is, is is a very well-respected and well-connected investor. As you mentioned, Scott, other people in his group include a Swiss billionaire named Hans-Jörg Weiss, uh, a, a local real estate mogul named Jonathan Goldstein, and then the big one, Scott, Clear Lake Capital, which we can get into in a second, uh, from what I understand, putting up the majority of the money here. Um, th- this is a deal that comes with obviously some some requirements on spending. I, I know that one of the things Roman cared about was making sure that whoever owned this team next understood that that it was a, a property that was to compete with 
Bayern Munich and, and Barcelona and Real Madrid and, and, and not a team that was going to spend less and make more money. Um, so, so no, I'm not, I'm not necessarily surprised. I was a little bit more surprised. I think that the final couple bid groups outside of Jim Ratcliffe were all American investors, but, but I think that, that, that this was a, a fairly logical conclusion. I mean, do you disagree? No, but I mean, I'll, I'll bring some real logic in it. And having watched Josh Harris bid for other properties like the New York Mets when he was bidding against Steve Cohen, uh, at the end of the day, I mean, Josh's bid, and I don't know how, how often, if we've even talked about this, in reality, Josh's bid for the Mets was like a billion dollars below Steve Cohen. Um, he's a value investor. Like he, he has to see it pencil out. I never thought from the beginning that Josh would pay whatever it took to get Chelsea as a trophy asset. Now, Steve Paliuka, part owner of the Celtics, I could see him doing it if it made sense. But I also see him um, saying, I, I need to know where all this money is going. You know, is it really going to charity? What's left open? Um, is Abramovich going to try and take the money out? Is that, asking all of those questions and being hesitant with any uncertainty, which left me with Todd Bowley uh, willing, I think, to spend to get the trophy asset as part of the portfolio. Uh, again, utilizing a lot of other people's money. Um, but it just left me as he would be the likely person to make it happen because of those factors. And not just spend to keep to 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 buy the asset, spend to keep the asset. Uh, well, yeah, you said something funny before. Yeah. You said, yeah, like you said, make more money. Roman, you know, said, well, you gotta, you gotta, you know, you have to spend whatever, just not just to make more money. And I think the appropriate term or the accurate term is lose less money, right? This thing loses 150 to $200 million a year. But you and I both know, and we're going to go to the Sam Kennedy principle here, that these are platform companies. And we've seen it time and time again when prospective bidders come in on properties. If it's turnkey, they ain't interested. Or Hmm. they're not as interested unless there's a media opportunity or real estate opportunity. And there is a massive real estate opportunity here with Stamford Bridge. Um, but they don't control the, you know, the asset and you're going to have to spend like a, what, a billion and a half, two billion to build a new stadium. And, but as we've seen with a lot of the newer facilities that they, uh, they mimic cash registers, you know, you bring that sort of American marketing to the sport in, in the UK. And I'm sure Todd sees a way where he can really utilize the real estate play as a way to make more money. Yeah, and, and to put that kind of in perspective about why, because people ask me all the time, why why would you buy an asset for for three plus billion dollars when when you're going to lose a hundred million dollars a year? They obviously appreciate a lot. Look at what happened with Roman Abramovich he, in 2003. Scott, he paid 230 million dollars to buy Chelsea. What what a deal, by the way. As you mentioned, this is a team that loses lost money almost every year he owned it and lost significant amounts of money. Sometimes uh, upwards of 200 million dollars. He invested personally a couple billion dollars, lent it to the club uh, for it to cover some of those losses. But flash forward 18 years of ownership, he's selling this thing for $3 billion. So take the 230 that he paid, take the 2 billion that that, that he put in on debt that, that that maybe he's not getting back from a profit when they divvy up what, what is actually being paid here. But no matter what he he made money on this. I think that is the that is the thing that that, that Todd Bowley's group and all the other groups that were bidding on Chelsea were looking at. They, they were they were thinking we're going to have to cover losses year in and year out. But if if ten years or ten or eighteen years down the line, in, in Roman's case, if we do go to sell it, I, I, I think it's a good bet that we're going to get our money back. Yeah, you know, you, you got to pencil out 
the the length of time and the annual losses. Uh, clearly, you know, Todd has a strategy. We have not been privy to that strategy, and I'll I'll put uppercase yet. I'm fascinated. You know, should we do the look ahead? The now what for Chelsea? What's the path forward? You know, um, not, uh, whether or not the principals uh, choose to share their uh, their roadmap with us or not, there are plenty of people we could talk to. Say, what's what's the way forward? And do you believe? And we've done this a number of times: Chelsea versus Denver Broncos. And we'll get to the Broncos in a minute, right? Do you want the Broncos at four billion? Four two four four whatever it may be, uh, knowing you're going to put a hundred plus million dollars in your pocket every year, or do you want Chelsea? Now we saw the number um, five plus with all the promise of reinvestment uh, over the long term. Which property has a better chance at being a seven nine ten billion dollar asset? Do you believe the NFL and its plan for global growth? Or are you banking on a dominant brand in the sport that is already the world's most popular? Those are two different avenues you could take. And I'm not sure which way I'd go. You know, maybe it maybe it really does depend just like any other investor. What's your appetite for risk? Right? The NFL would be a certificate of deposit. You know, I know what I'm gonna get. It's safe, it's there. Uh, or I guess uh, with inflation the way it is, I think the the uh, du rigueur uh, investment right now is the I bond. Have you read about this? Mm, uh, guaranteed no. almost ten percent. Yeah, go go look up on the I bond. If you have a, a spare ten k, you may want to put it into an I bond. Guaranteed almost ten percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go go look it up. <laughs> I, I hope catch. I taught our. I hope no, no, no. It's, <laughs> it's a, a rare back, you know, I bond. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're limited. It's like you know ten thousand, and um, you and and spouses, uh, you can each do it and. Uh, you're guaranteed. Uh, you have to leave the money there for a year, which I'm sure you're okay with. You know, somebody just flushes you. What's the big deal? You don't spend money. I see you the way you eat in the uh, in the office every day. Your fair, fair. Your, your salad, your sandwich, or your uh, or your granola. You're, you're good. Um, so yeah, but it's it's just a, a risk a risk reward analysis. What are you willing to risk, and do you think it'll be a big payoff? And to put the number, just a little bit of context around that number, you mentioned the, the top line, $5.24 billion. That includes uh, about $2.16, that is commitment, billion dollars, commitment to spend on the team moving forward. Puts the price paid for the team around $3.1 billion. Scott, it's not quite a record for, for a sports franchise. When Joe Sy, uh closed his deal for the Brooklyn Nets and, and operating rights to the Barclays Center uh, back in 2019, I believe, it was $3.3 billion was the valuation there. But one of the highest prices ever played for a sports franchise. And as you said, we'll get into the Broncos sooner. I believe both of those numbers will be eclipsed at some point in the coming months or weeks by whoever it is that ends up with the Broncos. All right. As you know, I, I do like soccer. Grew up playing soccer. Uh, who is... My favorite soccer player. Let me see how well you know. How well have you listened? Do you know who's my favorite soccer player? Yeah, I feel like I, it's no, like Franz Beckenbauer or something well, like that. Well, Der Kaiser? No, 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 not Der Kaiser. I was going to say, I you thought know, it was a German. Yeah. Well, oh, Didier I mean, Drogba. Didier Drogba. Mm, there you go. There. Guess, yeah. So, yes, you know, I love Drogba, and I was so excited when we got a chance to see him play when he played for Montreal and they came and played Red Bull. And here, you know, the, the, here's the drum roll. My son got to walk him out on the field, you yeah. know, and for those who don't know the story about the focus group of one, I love this. I told him, you know, it was sort of arranged ahead of time. I was given a, a little sneak peek that, Hey, we can't arrange anything, but tell your kid to be last in line because Drogba is going to come out last today. 
got a little intel, right? A little insider information. Tell your kid to wait. So of course, right in that area, right before I have to leave him, I'm like, dude, just wait. They're going to say, okay, everybody go line up. I want you to wait. Be the last person online. I mean, literally, Eben, not two seconds goes by when the person running thing says, okay, let's go, everybody. My kid shoots the front. Shoots the front. <laughs> he just, and I had a choice to make because, you know, in this Facebook world, like I had to have the shot, right? It's not good enough that it happened. I have to make sure the world knows it happened, at least on this one. So I kind of shimmy underneath the rope. I go to the front. I just, I grab him and yank him to the back of the line. I'm like, wait here. And you should have seen his face when you know he's waiting. They're looking, the players start coming out. And then last in line, as promised, there's Drogba. And he puts his arm around him. My son had a mohawk at the time, kind of rubbed his hand in his hair. And he looked up like, like, like Hercules himself was standing there. And by the way, he had no idea who Didier Drogba was, but I had built him up and then, you know, escorted him on the field and stood there during the anthem. Fantastic stuff. Let's transition then, Sky. I love that story. It's great. It's fantastic. You were in Miami um, for a different sport, glitz and glamour uh, of the F1 race. Asla Pellet and I, my, our colleague, uh, broke it down on Thursday heading into the race. But I would love to hear your thoughts. Everyone I know who was down there seemed to say that it was different from a just from a hospitality standpoint, a different kind of sporting event than almost anything that they had ever seen before, including F1 races and other fairly glitzy and glamorous places. Well, having never attended Monaco, I, you know, I, I can't speak to that, but it was clear that there was an event in town. It was clear that something different, a, a spectacle was around because there were pop-up restaurants like Carbone on the beach and you know, you just kept reading about these things and seeing the posters. It, it was clear that something different was happening. So you've been uh, in Miami for Super Bowls, I, I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong. How I've different, been for multiple Super Bowls. Yeah. How different did Miami feel for F1 weekend versus how Miami feels for Super Bowl weekend? Different. People were talking about it. Like it, it's just like the people who came for the Super Bowl. Just kind of all right. It was there. It was there. But this was this was on everybody's top of mind. It was just what people were discussing. You went out to eat or it, it was, there was, the race was everywhere. You just kind of felt it. And whether or not it lived up to the hype or lived up to expectation or I, that, I don't know. But um, we did host a roundtable discussion at a lovely mansion on the intercoastal with our friends over at Rob Report and Greg Maffei, the CEO of Liberty, of course, the parent of F1 was there. Zach Brown, the CEO of McLaren, David Coulthard, commentator, former right, uh, former driver. And boy, the optimism, just from all of them, the optimism about the growth of the sport, the attention of the sport, where it's headed, the promise of the U.S. marketing and all the marketing dollars here for the sport. And, and I said, what's the risk? What, you know, and Greg, you know, like any good CEO, he, he didn't say, oh, there's no risk. He said, well, this is what I watch and this is... But it's clear that they believe there are significant inroads already made and many more to come in the United States. I mentioned this stat last week when talking to Asla that the, there's 22 races on the F1 calendar. The U.S. is one of only two countries right now that the that the F1 uh, will, will stop in uh, more than once this year. And that's before... We add next year, Scott, the Las Vegas event that we've talked about where, where they're racing down down the strip right in front of the, the famous hotels, casinos, uh, and fountains. So, so clearly, yes, a, a big opportunity here 
in 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 the U.S. and I wasn't sure exactly what to expect from this. And 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 it's funny. I I, I felt like I read so much about this race even afterwards before I even realized who won. That it, it almost seemed like more so than most events, the the, the winner of it, which was Max Verstappen, I believe, was yeah. so much you secondary you to know? the whole. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so it's funny. I, I was tweeting about this earlier. I went to Monday morning. Uh, I went to ESPN.com, with, uh, ESPN televised here in the US. I uh, went to ESPN.com to see who won. If you clicked on the homepage, I didn't get it anywhere on the top stories, anything on the left. Then I clicked on the ESPN's F1 page, the F1 landing page. And of the six or seven featured stories on the right none of them mentioned who the winner was i had to scroll down even on espn's f1 page to find who the winner is it does certainly feel like f1 is kind of almost singular in in, in its in the, in the way in which people consume the sport the the winner on the track being maybe not as important as just the x's and o winner in a lot of other sports yeah well i mean that sounds i'm it sounds like somebody goofed frankly because not only is F1 shown on, I mean, the race was on ABC, but the Disney family of networks, but that, that contract is up for renewal very soon. And I mean, you'll remember when the NHL was not on ESPN, you couldn't find it on the homepage, then they get the contract back and it's everywhere. You know, of, of course, that's how you treat the property you're trying to court or, or you have. So I, I really think somebody just might have goofed, believe it or not, because Mike, Mac, Max Verstappen should have been all over that front page. Uh, and I asked, of course, um, Greg Maffei and the others about sort of the, the drive to survive. And by the way, you'll, you'll be glad to know it was three minutes and 22 seconds into our little roundtable discussion before the word Netflix was uttered. I, I was <laughs> timing it and I stopped, I stopped the proceedings to let everybody know it was three minutes and 22 seconds. I probably would have bet the under that somebody would have said it before that, but that's how long it took for Netflix to be uttered. Um, about just sort of the, the fans who enjoy the drama of the reality show, but are not race fans come Saturday. And he said, well, believe it or not, Scott, like we haven't seen many of those. Like, and again, I brought up my, my, my family watched the show, but have not been converted into Saturday or Sunday morning race fans. And he said, well, that's not what we've seen across the board, frankly. And I go, I spoke to plenty of other people and I know this is not, you know, empirical data, but they've become hardcore watch parties, you know, almost like the EPL on Saturday morning. And so, you know, they think they've, they've just really tapped into a, a new, growing, loyal, affluent, all the great things that you want for sponsors and potential advertisers. And fantastic timing for F1 for, for this U.S. boom to be happening right as the U.S. TV rights, which were with NBC for a while, ESP, NBC essentially gave them up to ESPN. Perfect timing for, for F1 to be hitting the market in the U.S. now with all of this momentum behind it here in, in America. Uh, Scott, let's move on to another one. Uh, some news that, that that we broke over at Sportico last week on the Broncos. Now the the most important and, and biggest, most competitive sports franchise up for auction right now. Uh, we know who a series of the bidders are, uh, but but a new high profile uh, person just joined the group led by Josh Harris, and that is Magic Johnson. Um, someone who has, uh, he's an investor in the, the Dodgers. He's an investor in the Sparks. He's someone who has had a, a very successful business career uh, on the heels of his very successful basketball career. Um, we're at that stage where we were with Chelsea maybe about a month ago now, Scott, where the bid groups, we know who are leading most of them. Now they're starting to beef up their consortiums. 
who's effective, who's helpful for me, not only to provide capital, but also maybe to provide expertise, to, a, 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 to provide a public face for the bid. Uh, and Magic Johnson certainly feels like he can fill a, a few of those buckets. Yeah, uh, but so much interests me about the Broncos deal. I mean, we could do an entire show on it alone. But here's the question I have for Magic. And I wanted to pose it to him, but I didn't get the chance yet. Why would he align himself with one of the bid groups? And I guess his answer could be, I believe in Josh, and he's been you know great owner with the Sixers and the Devils, and um, you know also Rob Bolton probably doesn't need anybody in his bid group, right? It's because it is a trust sale, and you wrote about this that there's a fiduciary responsibility that what will guide the sale is the highest price, not necessarily. Uh, who do we think is the best owner? Just this is going to go to the highest bidder. Uh, I guess if Josh is unsuccessful, Magic could approach whoever does win the bid and say, "Hey, as you know, I'm interested to be a, a part of this group." Um, but others, who of course have a certain gravitas in the area, uh, last name surname Manning, uh, are sitting it out right now. They are not aligning themselves. Like Peyton Manning is not aligning himself with a bidder. What will happen here? is they will go through the process, a winner will be declared, and then Peyton Manning will say, hey, I'd love to be a part of this group. Hmm. And, you know, Magic, when the Dodgers were sold, um, he took sort of the tact of, I'm really important, right? I'm, I'm important in LA. People like me. Uh, they're angry at the team. They're angry at outgoing owner Frank McCourt. I'm a really good person to have in your group. People love my smile. <laughs> so he interviewed prospective bidders. Like, it was really... Normally, uh, we've said this before, normally it's the people with the money who do the interviewing. Magic was the one doing, he was the one summoning people to his desk and saying, why should I align myself with you? So um, as we've discussed also, the NFL is looking for diverse groups in, in its ownership ranks. Of course, they cannot mandate. And it, there, there is this loggerheads at this point of does it matter? Do you need diversity? Do you need people of color in your group if you're the high bid? Right, it, it's it's clear though the NFL has told everyone we would prefer, we would really like it if the ownership group contained people of color. Yeah, I think that that all those things are are exactly right. To your question about why Magic might do this now, I mean it's it's obviously hard to answer that without knowing kind of the deal terms of of what his agreement with Josh Harris looks like. To, to go back to the Dodgers for a second, back in 2011 when when the Dodgers were up for sale. He joined, as you mentioned, the, the ultimately successful bid led by the Guggenheim partners. He put in about $50 million, which was good enough for 2.3% of, of, of the franchise right now. So again, this, he's not coming in and, and likely with the Dodgers, same or the Broncos, the same thing. He's not coming in with a big stake here for the Broncos, but he does have a lot of experience here in, in all the things you mentioned with the Dodgers, being the public face of it, bringing in potentially new partners. All of those things seem like they are potentially valuable. Scott, if you can give an update on, on, on how far along you think this, this process is, we know there are at least five groups that have reached quote unquote second stage. One of them led by Rob Walton, one of the richest men in the world. Another one uh, led by Josh Harris, this group that we're talking about with Magic Johnson. Another one led by by Todd Bowley. And the obvious question there, Scott, on the Bowley one, he, he just uh, made a very successful bid for Chelsea. Going to cost him a lot of money. Uh, are you? Would you be surprised to see him still in the Broncos bid? Would, would you be surprised to see him back out of the Broncos bid? How, how much do you think does he have the, both the, the capital and the financial and the interest uh, and the wherewithal to be going after the Broncos while knowing that he just added Chelsea. Yeah, I'm sorry. What was your question? 
<laughs> two things. Give us an update no, on the timing. And, no, no, and no, number two, that, that yeah, what like, do you expect from Bully here? I'm going to go back to the movie references. Remember back to school? I have but one question in 27 parts. Um, one timing, I think we're, we're getting a very clear picture. Uh, management meetings were first week of May. Um, we're getting close to sort of your, okay, let's get your second round number in mind. And whether that's a best and final, I'm not sure, but we're getting there. Yeah. Now that Chelsea's out of the way, we're getting there. Would I be surprised if Todd Bowley bids on the Broncos too? And <laughs> now that he's secured, uh, Chelsea, no, I would not be surprised if he stayed engaged in the Broncos. Uh, he's got a ravenous appetite for this stuff. And again, it's part of global portfolio. Like, and if you can add the NFL to any portfolio, there's your crown jewel, right? I mean, Chelsea's one, and uh, this would be 1A, or they're both 1A. Uh, they're, they're just crown jewels in any sports portfolio. You can do a lot uh, with, with an NFL team. So, no, I would not be surprised. What, and what was the other? Were there other questions there? No, I think that that, that, that kind of summed up. To, to me, the... Peyton Manning is is kind of in a class of his own here in terms of these kind of celebrity minority LP partners. Well, what it about feels John like Elway? It, 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 and John Elway maybe as well. It seems like if you're now if you're talking about the class of 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 Magic Johnson, maybe now is the time to start thinking seriously about if I want to hitch my wagon to somebody, I maybe have to make a decision soonest. Maybe he and and Josh aligned on on some some feelings he had about philanthropy of the team or or, or community outreach of the team. I think there's a lot of things in there. That, that, that could have swung his, his, his decision one way or another. It is interesting to me that, you know, we talked about the Dodgers, Todd Bowley, obviously a, a very principal part of that Guggenheim partners uh, bid to, to win the Dodgers. He is also a bidder here in, in, in the Broncos, as we're talking about, but Magic ended up in a group that was not his group. So, so there's so many kind of inter, interconnected business relationships here. But I, I do think that much like we saw with Chelsea a few months ago with people like Serena, with Lewis Hamilton, we're now, I think, at that point with the Broncos that we're going to keep hearing, I think, maybe potential new big names, some celebrity names that, that are pairing up with some of these groups moving forward. As long as you break it, I'll be happy with it, right? I mean, but this is why we do what we do. do we can. It, it's soap opera every day. He is Eben Novi Williams on assignment from Aruba. Are you going to go like outside beach? Be honest. You gonna work Hopefully. or you going outside? Maybe, beach? maybe dip my toes in the sand while while working on some stories and some emails. All right, on the Twitter at Novi underscore Williams. I am Scott Sashnick on the Twitter at Sashnick. Matt Whitehurst is our more than capable producer. Thank you for all you do, Matt. Our digital media editor is Cora Veltman. She loves it when I remind you that the show can be found at Sportacast, which is the hub of what will very soon become. I'm working on it, people. Working on it, not easy. The Sportico Media Network.